suppose at this time we're going to dismiss the children and the nursery children. I think all the workers should be available now. Almost looked like Neil was heading downstairs. <laughs> okay. And we are going to take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9. This passage, I'm not sure how to describe it really. I mean, I've studied through it, taught it. Perhaps there, maybe I haven't got quiet enough with it um, over the, the days, weeks, months, years. Um, but this, this passage of Scripture about Saul's beginning is really, I don't know, it's really touching my heart. Um, I don't know, I look around the room and I think probably almost all of us have had to deal with leadership uh, before in, in one shape or form, whether that's in our, our employment, uh, whether that's in our churches, whether that's school systems. Uh, <laughs> I was even thinking about uh, uh, my dad and I tried, uh, tried the whole experimental to see if we could farm together at one point. And, and sometimes, I mean, it's just not, not going to work. Um, I recognize my personality and my personality is, well, could we do it this way? And generally, we would understand leadership that goes before us. Their first instance or reaction would be no. And my personality would be like, well, can we try? And then that's usually followed by another no. And then somewhere along the lines, I'll kind of sneakily try it anyway and then say, hey, see, it worked. And most of the time, the answer is no still. And then, then we find ourselves making decisions. Uh, not just farming. I do recognize uh, my personality type, but uh, quieting myself with Saul. And Saul didn't have a very pleasant beginning, right? I mean, he, 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 really, he really didn't. I mean, we're, we're going to see him struggling with people, struggling with leadership, struggling with, with groups. And isn't that so practical for life? I mean, anytime you, you seek to try and do something different or change, guess what you're met with? Resistance, pushback, rejection. Um, it really isn't an easy thing to step into leadership. So, I mean, we, we have all kinds of things, and, and I recognize even uh, the sensitivity, because, I mean, some in this room have gone through some leadership struggles uh, in the not-so-far past. Right? And, and my life, again, with my personality, it, it doesn't matter where I seem to turn. I'm stepping into a leadership role, and I have to humbly work my way through that. Um, so I'm just going to pray, recognize that this is a, a sensitive topic, and uh, perhaps it's a different way of thinking for many that have read this passage. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not going to focus so much on Barnabas as a main topic. Uh, I'm going to look at Saul. Right? And, and his need and, and, and some of his humanity as we, we read through the situation that's taking place here. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word, uh, all right, I mentioned the word humility. Lord, I pray that, that your spirit would uh, quiet our hearts. Lord, that your spirit would 
But just open our eyes to what you want to show us this morning. My, my heart included, I've learned so much, and I, I, I believe that, that we're just touching the surface of this. Lord, we think of, of some of the things that we may think about as we read these passages, and I pray that we would keep our focus we keep our focus on what you're desiring to do in our hearts first. And Lord, quite often when we have these conversations, Lord, we're, we're talking about a situation or a grievance. Uh, but Lord, our hearts have to, we have to do what's right first. And Lord, I just ask that you'd lead through this message and then we would have fun doing it. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 9, we will begin in verse 23. I promise I will not get stuck in that this morning. Uh, But beginning in verse 23, it says, Now after many days were passed, (laughs) the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay, and we understand that he's gone out to Arabia, he's come back, uh, and and things aren't happy. Um, But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Verse 26 says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. That's a fascinating word. It means like he tried to glue himself. He tried to to attach himself to what was going on there in Jerusalem. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Right? Or, or we'll say a sincere someone engaged in learning, someone desiring to be a Christ follower. But Barnabas, says, took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them, the apostles, okay, and, and we're going to have to study this out because it's important, how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Just off the top of my head, I, I, I think Barnabas was in Damascus hearing Saul preach. That's how he could testify of what he was saying. So we have a firsthand witness. Verse 28 says, So he was with them, and I'd say the disciples and the apostles, at, at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed or or discussed um, against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. All right, and and this is is going to be an interesting discussion this morning. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Do we remember where where Paul was from? from Tarsus, okay? So they send him back home to his own home mission field, and he's actually going to go back there for 11 years, all right? So he, he, he comes to join Jerusalem, and they don't have anything of it, so they send him away. What happens when Saul leaves? Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. You remove Saul, and all of a sudden peace comes upon that area for 11 years. That's interesting, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Very interesting when you slow down and you start reading through some of the, the technicalities. So if we were to come up, and, and hopefully there you do have one of the, the notes there, 
I was thinking of a title for this, and my title and those that have had discussions with me over leadership titles, I called it Christ Leads Saul in His Own Lane. Okay, we have lanes that sometimes they're what we were, we're being channeled into. And he's facing a stuck leadership and facing a stuck people. All right? uh, I, I've included some information there that you might find interesting, but just coming down to 23 to 25. Uh, Saul, we see in this passage, we see Saul going to the Gentile mission field and returning. It says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. We, we were spent time last week in Galatians. Uh, he goes out for that two, two and a half, three years, and he's coming back. Generally, when somebody's been, well, let's say there, I don't think this was exactly a furlough. We know what a furlough is? When missionaries go out and then they come back for, for a time of reprieve and, and uh, where they can be invested in. I picture Saul coming back on fire. Right? He's been out, he's stepped into the ministry, he's been working through his Old Testament scriptures. When you read and you try and put together the personality of Saul, I mean, when he was a Pharisee, was he laid back in his position? Oh no. When he saw a grievance, was he all in? Was he all or nothing? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean the Christ followers, the disciples, they had to die. I mean, he was pursuing them out of his own country into another country. Like, like Saul had an intense personality. So we see him go out. We see him come back. What does he find, right, having come back off the mission field? What does he find when he comes back to Damascus, right? Where, where does he find, like, what does he find in this home atmosphere? Well, he finds people plotting to kill him. He comes back on fire and he, he finds the Jewish people so against him, and not just the Jewish people, he finds his own government in Damascus against him. There's an alliance. Just humor me and let's go to 2 Corinthians 11 and I'll just show you this um, one more time and then I'll let it go. 2 Corinthians 11. Saul comes back. I mean, Damascus is where... Uh, where the, the church has its beginnings. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32. All right, we not only see the, the Jewish rulers and the Jewish rejection, we see the world rejection against him as well. So he goes out, he comes back, he comes to Damascus, he's on fire. It says this, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32. In Damascus... The governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. So the government was against Saul as he comes back. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Goes to the mission field, he comes back, he finds the government against him, he finds the, the Jewish rulers still against him. I mean, some of them might have even been peers. How many people would have given up at that point? I mean, you're being led. <laughs> you're, you're being, thank you for your honesty. You're being led, let down through a window in a basket to escape with your life. Saul finds a reason to run. Right? I mean, can, can he do anything more in Damascus? Right? Can he do anything more with that local church? He finds a reason to run. 
And I began thinking, like, how often do you find someone talking about, you know, God, God leading them to, to run away from a mission field? You don't hear those stories very often. But sometimes, sometimes that's best. Sometimes that's needed. Right? When we think of, of stepping away from ministry from a time, you don't read very many books about that being a good thing. That would be a, a failure kind of thing as you think about it. But sometimes God's time is you need to run. That environment, that situation, that mission field is not for you. And we find him having a reason to run. Now, if we were to pursue that a little bit further, he's not leaving that entirely. He was leaving a local assembly behind to do what he wanted to do. Right? You had the, the local assembly in Damascus that could continue what Saul desired to do. Would the work continue without him? I'd hope so. I'd hope it didn't all rest on Saul. Kind of comes down to, the, to the, the, the idea, and I think I wrote it down here, the idea of if you were to leave, like yourself this morning, an application, if you were to leave, let's say, a church, or if you were to leave a ministry, would it change? How would it change? Right? How, how involved are you where God has you? Right? And I remember there as a, as, a, as a young fellow just stepping in, I mean, the idea as people leave churches, and I mean, we've seen our fair share of that the last five and a half, almost six years. And sometimes the church doesn't change when someone leaves. What does that say? How involved are people? So we see Saul here having a reason to run. Well, where does he run? He heads right to, to ground zero, and that's at Jerusalem. Um, catch this with me in verse 26. It says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So Saul goes to Jerusalem. He goes to ground zero. And again, I ask the question, what does he find? I mean, this is ground zero. This is where the Jerusalem council gets set up here. I mean, this is where the apostle headquarters, this is where Pentecost took place. What does he find? And I still think that Saul's probably still intense and on fire. What does he find? Well, it says he finds disciples, those engaged in learning, and he finds that they're afraid of him, right? And that, that, that fear, that apprehension, and they did not believe that he was a disciple himself. Right? He finds, he, he comes, and I mean, the one place I think that would be safe and let's engage in this, he finds fear and, and distrust, Again, can you imagine starting out in your ministry and everywhere you turn, there's, there, there's not that support, there's distrust, there's fear, there, there, there's questioning as to your motives. Can you imagine that? How many people would just give up? Right? I mean, it, it's a very, very real thing. <clears throat> I wrote this down. What, what were they scared of? And you sit down and you get quiet. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're on a roof or cutting wood or shoveling snow the last week. I mean, what were they afraid of? Right? Were, were they afraid of, of Saul as a person? Because most time when we think about this, like Saul has a history. 
I mean, Saul was, was killing them at one point. He was throwing them in prison at one point. But I mean, that was three years ago. Right now, now he's come, he's got a bit of a testimony. So were they afraid of him as a person? Maybe he intimidated them. Maybe there was that personality difference. Were they afraid of his teaching? Because Saul, Saul met with Christ. He was coming with a message that was different, that Gentiles were grafted into this promise. Right? And the Jews were like, no, no, the, the Jewish promise, the covenant's for us. So was it his teaching? I'd say, I would say it was a, a mixture of both. Uh, the revelation, the teacher. But, but, but the big point here, as I was thinking about that, the fear of history, right? the fear of things that would happen in the past, the fear of the future, the fear of, of what was the third point here? The fear of uh, change. It often attacks the best intentions, doesn't it? Right? Someone can come with the best of intentions and the purest of motives, but you throw those three things, history, fear of the future, and fear of change, and guess what? You get the best of rejections. Right? And we find, I mean, they, they were afraid and they did not believe. They shut Saul down and out. I, I find that. Like, I mean, that, that's such a pertinent thing there when you're dealing with leadership. So we find Saul, verse 27, stick with me, because most of the time we focus on Barnabas here. I want, I want to work through Saul in this passage. 27 to 30, we find Saul in a pivotal moment. Right? I mean, it, it, we have, we have some, many leaders in this room, okay? and I look around, and, and we have many, whether it's, it's, it's in our jobs, whether it's at MBBI, whether it's here at the church, we have many leaders in this room former pastors. I mean, we know, we understand leadership. Quite often, when leaders get pushed or rejected in this way, and I'm being sensitive, it's fight or flight, isn't it? Right? It's fight or flight. It's either, okay, you know what, we need to meet this head on. And, and sometimes, I'm going to say most of the time, that's the best way to do it. But we also have the flip side of that is, I'm just going to carry that hurt. I'm just going to let that slide. I, I'm not going to address it. And we watch, we watch many get beat up. It doesn't matter whether in the secular or the ministry or, or whether... It doesn't matter, right? They're, and they get beat up and they get weighed on. And so we have fight or flight. And I was thinking here, there, I mean, here's Saul. I mean, they're afraid. They're rejecting him. They don't believe Saul. He's been run out of Damascus. He's come to Jerusalem, the one place where it's like, let's do this. And they're like, no way. What would have happened had Barnabas not come along? I mean, Saul could have either lost his mind and caused a lot of damage, or he could have said, I'm done. I don't care anymore. Right? I met Jesus. I'm going to do my own thing. Right? So I, I, I was thinking through that a little bit. Had Barnabas not come, what would this have looked like? And not all of us in this room this morning are called to be Paul or Saul. And that's probably a good thing. If the world was full of leaders and type A personalities, it would implode. <laughs> right? I mean, we, need, we need those supports. We need Barnabases who look at some of these situations and recognize that this man or woman, if, if we don't take hold of them ministry, life decisions, 
family decisions, whatever, if we don't take a hold of them and lead them to where they can get the help and the direction, things are going to unravel. So don't necessarily even, even, even apply yourself to the Paul. What about the Barnabas seeing the need here this morning? So Saul finds himself at a pivotal moment in his call, his walk, his ministry. Um, let's remember Saul was human. What was he feeling at this moment? And this would be things you can go home and meditate about. If you were rejected, had to run for your life, God's people, I mean, they're disciples, so they're Christians. They're born-again Christians going, we don't trust you. We don't love you. We don't want you to be part of us. What is going through his heart and mind at that point? Right? Reasons or not, how is he feeling? What is he processing? Uh, even just the idea of all the momentum that Saul would have had coming to a stop. You ever worked on a project where you're like, yes, yes, this is the answer, this is the answer, just to get a no, drop it. Not, don't, don't, we don't even want to look at it anymore. How does that settle? It doesn't. So Saul needed to be taken hold of. Just point number one there. Um, he needed to be caught and seized. The idea of that word took uh, in the Greek, just using my tools, is to make the motion of grasping or taking hold of something, okay? Sometimes with violence. Like Barnabas came, and, and I, I envision, without adding to Scripture, Saul's at a pivotal moment, and Barnabas took hold of this man. Um, some of the commentaries would suggest that, that Saul was around the same age as Jesus. So he's in early 30s, mid-30s, right? My age. Lots of energy, ideas, right? I mean, like passion. God's been using him being rejected. And Barnabas sees that and takes a hold of him. What does he do? He seizes him, uh, protect him from himself, and maybe these are my own personal reflections, that pride that can creep in. Sometimes they're with leaders, right? If I'm not getting my own way, guess what? <laughs> We're going to do this. Barnabas takes hold of him before that pride takes note. Um, takes hold of it maybe before that confrontation takes place. There are so many different things, but Barnabas takes hold of him. It also says that Barnabas brought him to the apostles. And that word speaks to leading him. What happens to, to a leader who, who's at that pivotal moment? Sometimes they need to be led. Sometimes they need to be taken to that next step. Um, I think we'll just maybe graduate. I was going to make an application of, of working with teenagers, but teenagers are, are quite often still in that turmoil stage where they're not quite sure. So maybe if we graduate to college age, they're a little bit more stable, but they need to be taken hold of and, and laid out in front of them and say, look, okay, what's your next step? Right, where are we going to get the help? Where are we going to get, get our future motion going on here? How do we administrate this? Sometimes we need to be Barnabases for people around us. And ministry is no, no different. So he takes hold of him. He leads him. Um, who does he lead him to? What's it say in verse 27? It says he leads them to the apostles. Now, I think I have this straight. I've read it, sorted through it, mapped it out. Some of the commentaries, I mean, one even say, like, this is the most debated timeline, whatever, where we parked. Um, but it says he led them to the apostles. Okay, and forgive me for this, but this is worth mentioning. In Galatians, it says he didn't lead him to all the apostles. 
okay? He only led them to a select few. And let me show you. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. This is really, when we're looking at Saul's humanity, his leadership, what Christ is, is doing through him, I mean, Saul's got his lane, Christ met him, has given him his commission, and, and he's being rejected, he's being steered away, the people aren't receiving his teaching. He doesn't go up to all of the apostles. Galatians 1, verse 18, okay, and this is the not as many days, and I won't get bogged down here, but Galatians 1.18 says, After three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Do you see the timeline? Okay. I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Right? So he didn't go up to all the apostles. He went up to, and I envisioned this, he went up to the ones who were willing to listen. Okay? Now, the other apostles right, could have been out serving. Right? Where was the Jerusalem council? Lots of discussion can be had. But he only went up and met with Peter and James. Was James one of the original 12 minus Judas 11? No. No, he's not. He's 13 disciple, or apostle, sorry. So we have a lot more apostles, and I won't get on that kick. But he went up to see Peter and James. That's pretty significant. Where was everybody else? Why wouldn't he go and ask for a grand audience of all the Jerusalem believers and say, I have a message to announce? Because not all of them were ready to listen. And leadership is like that at times. As I quieted myself this week, it was, it was sometimes some leadership is not ready to listen. So come back to Acts with me, and uh, <clears throat> I think we're making pretty good time. So Saul needed to be taken hold of. He needed to be led. Saul needed to be acknowledged by his peers. And I, I just thought through that fact with Peter and James. Notice how and the who these two men, Barnabas and Saul, approach. Right? They go to Peter and James. They spend 15 days with them. They do not try and change the whole council. To try and change a whole board that, that has its own ideas, that's a waste of time. Um, I mean, whether it's deacon's board, camp board, school board, secular board, finance board, I mean, if they already have their minds made up, you trying to change it? is not going to work, right? But my closing point with that was this. These men partnered with who they could to do what they could. Does that make sense? They partnered with who they could, who was willing to listen, who was to sit down. And, and I, don't, I don't present a, a Absalom and David where there's a conspiracy going on. I, I picture Barnabas going, look, Peter and James are going to listen. They're going to see where you're coming from, right? They're not undermining. They're not rejecting authority. They, they partnered with who they could to do what they could. And sometimes that's not the full picture. Sometimes that's not the full plan. But at least it's the start of a, a plan. At least it's a plan. <laughs> so we continue. Um, keep going here. Um, it says, and he declared to them, and we're going to flip our notes over, he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. 
kind of back application-wise. I mean, not all of us are Saul's and Paul's, uh, you know, I'll say gifted to speak, loving to speak, loving to teach. I mean, I, some of us need to be Barnabas's. And we see that Barnabas had watched the Spirit of God change this man, when you think about it. And I do, I read that verse and I ask that question. I mean, how would Barnabas had known what he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus? Was that just, oh, I heard that he did that? Or was Barnabas actually there? Because we see Barnabas very closely connected with this church. And, and I, I see Barnabas, I mean, I'm not going to start a church on this, but, but he, he watched the Spirit of God change this man Saul. Right? He knew Saul was the one that held the cloaks as they stoned Stephen. The hardness of heart. He, he watched that leader going, this man needs to die. And then he hears about King Jesus meeting him on the road and then hears this message after spending three days blind and, and, and immediately he starts proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. He watched the Spirit of God change this man. Barnabas took hold of him. Barnabas knew what was going on in this man's heart and life. But when we see there in verse 28, um, he was with them in Jerusalem coming in and going out. Could spend another 15 minutes on that, what that looks like. But what does Saul do? And he spoke boldly or fearlessly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he finds himself disputing against or with, it's interesting, the Hellenists. Now, before the pitchforks and, and swords come out, I, I did approach this a little bit differently in my study this week. Uh, he finds himself disputing against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Right? All of a sudden we find ourselves back in place. Saul needed to leave. Right? Saul, it was time for Saul to go. Do you think Saul did everything right? <laughs> he's, he's human. I mean, us leaders with that, that personality, we make mistakes. I mean, it's, it, it's part of it. Sometimes we, we don't listen enough. Sometimes we get so used to talking. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where, where you approach a leader to share something with them and they talk the entire time and by the end of it, it's like, I don't even know why I, I, I even wanted to connect with you on this level. Right? I, I'm sure you've had that experience. But here, here we see there the, the idea of, of them coming together. The Saul there do everything right? No. But let's recognize that this group, the Hellenists, they would not accept him. Okay, was it him as a person? Was it his testimony they wouldn't accept? Was it his presence? Was it his teaching? And he finds himself disputing with, with the Hellenists. Now, if we were to study out the Hellenists, and then I've got the passages there, so we won't go there, but we're introduced to this, and Luke uses this term three times in the book of Acts. Uh, first one is in Acts chapter 6 where we have the, the disputing between the Hebrews and the Hellenists about the giving to the widows, right? And we have that, and there's a grievance, and we find they're part of the assembly, right? And then we have the, the passage that we're looking at, Acts 9.29, and then we have Acts 11.20 as well. And I ask the question, why would, why would Luke use the same term to all of a sudden mean the world and the lost if it was originally used as born-again believers in the church, 
So that just, and, and again, don't, don't run me out, but I, I began thinking through, and I say the question theoretically, as he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, okay, even to the place where they're wanting to kill him, theoretically, could people within the assembly hate the teaching of the word? Right, could God's people ever get to that place where they don't want it? Right, to the point, to, to the place where they're really willing to remove, remove the teacher, remove the pastor. And, and I would say yes. I mean, I mean, history since the beginning of the church has showed us that God's people can take that, that approach. So theoretically, could the people within the assembly hate the teaching of the word, hate deeper teaching? We would say yes. Uh, during this transition of Jew and Gentile being grafted in, could the people, born-again believers, get to the place of rejecting apostolic revelation, different than what they already know, to the place of being angry, right? To the place of being willing to cause violence. Would people within a religious framework plot or attempt to have a teacher of the word removed or killed? This is a different culture. If they were Jews, the Torah says that they were to stone rebellious teenage sons. I mean, this is a completely, completely different culture. So without building a church on it, I, I could present this there in that, that God's people, part of that assembly, could get upset enough that they would run their pastor out, even to the point of wanting to kill, attempting to kill them, right? We could, could present that. So the big point comes down to Saul needed to leave. The time was not right. Leadership principles, right? Saul needed to leave. Could he stay and fight and cause problems? Certainly. But Saul needed to leave. Verse 30 says, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. <clears throat> the result, we see that in verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they had peace. That didn't make me feel very good thinking about that. You know, the idea of, of you're pouring your heart and soul out into something, all your energy, risking your life, and then they lead you to a boat. You have to go back home to Tarsus, and then there's peace. That doesn't mean it's failure. That just means the time was not right. That's something there that I, I've chewed on and chewed on, and I wrestle with my own things and, and what God's got me involved in. But, but it does say, and they had peace, and they ratified. Right? The assembly in Israel was building itself without Saul. Yeah, I won't get into that. That's something to think about as we get through. And walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied without Saul. Saul needed to leave, right? The time was not yet. But he wasn't leaving forever, right? He comes back, 11 years, Galatians 2, he comes back. And he starts into, it starts into the motions of his first missionary journey, but he needed to leave for that time. So the result we see in Acts chapter 10, will we get there? Well, I, I think... Uh, we got a surprise for next week, but Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter's nudged 
into the Jerusalem and Judea mission field there. Um, what would have happened if Paul had stayed? Right? Would, would there have been problems? Would there have been pushback? Would there have been, been unrest continued? Probably. Saul needed to go. Um, so application, this would be the questions directly for you. I know we've looked at some technicalities and, and maybe a different uh, perspective as we've come to that passage. Some thoughts, maybe we've opened some, some wounds, I'm not sure. But what spirit-led lane are you in? Right, and this is me talking to, to, to men, leaders. I mean, I would, I would assume that the Spirit's leading our lives. What lane are you in? What about your leadership? I mean, is it, is it, is it I mean, going with the flow? Do you, do you find yourself edifying and unified with, with others around you? Or are we like Saul? Maybe the time is not right and it's time to go. It's time to leave for a bit. Right? What, about you? what lane are you in? What about your leadership? How are you responding or reacting to what's going around you? This one's probably more for me. Are you okay with God's answer being not yet? Are you okay with, with, the, with being patient? Even if it's through rejection. Right? And then that could go, we could go so many different ways with that. But are you okay with God's answer being not yet even if it's through rejection. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do recognize that um, you're the one that leads us. Lord, your spirit, through your word, Lord, you are in the midst of an obedient church. Lord, your word tells us that. Lord, you lead leadership that are, have bent their knee to you. And Lord, I just think of, of so many different areas of our lives that are touched by some of the things that we've just discussed. Lord, we think of our marriages. We think of the things we're involved in. We think of, of this church. And Lord, my prayer would be that we would just quiet ourselves to make sure that you're leading us, to make sure our Bibles are open, to make sure that we're not just presenting opinions or, or if there are problems that seem to follow us, Lord, my, myself included, Lord, if we're struggling with other leaderships, if we're struggling with the answer being no for no reason, Lord, I pray that we would quiet ourselves and be humble just to, to make sure that we're, we are in the right. And Lord, when I think of Saul and the timing, Lord, perhaps, perhaps needing to leave, perhaps needing to go, go somewhere else for, for a period of time, Lord, I pray that, that we would quiet ourselves to that. And Lord, I just think of the need for Barnabases. Lord, Saul's, I mean, you call Saul's and you call people to rise up and teach and preach, but Lord, the Barnabases to help, help people through these times, help people in this, this, this 30s to 40s range make decisions. Lord, connect. Lord, I pray that you would raise up Barnabases to take hold and bring them to help. Lord, help us as we reread this passage. May more things come to the surface. And be with us the rest of the day. And Lord, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Always open for discussions.